Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet Airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Good afternoon to all of our listeners. Our guest, David Young, known as the Romantic Pied Piper of the 21st century, or just one of the most unique, multi-talented self-starters in the music biz, who with his last $100, launched his own record company that has now sold over a million CDs. And mind you, he's been traveling for 40 weeks each year on the circuit for 10 years. No doubt he's breathing while on two flutes. (laughs) I'm not sure just how I brought David Young to my attention, scanning the Internet over the last month. But once he came in, let me tell you, He'll be a lifer in my music garden. David's writing skills for lyrics are fascinating and tell a story along with a rhythm and melody. It lit a fire in my listening, and I thought that I'd love to share it with all of you out there. This guy ignites a rhythm in the soul that's hard to let go of. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Taz... David Young's story is a heart toucher, and his music. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. 
Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Good afternoon to all of our listeners. David Christopher is our guest today. He's an award-winning author and teacher of the new story, a story that integrates the science of the 20th and 21st centuries with a spiritual sensibility toward the creation of the universe. David certainly has the pulse of life captivated in his new book, The Holy Universe, His masterpiece tells the story of humanity in a way that brings deeper understanding to why and how our modern mind is driving us to do so much damage to the planet. It requires how a new worldview or a new mind is emerging and how it can help us through this great transformation. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Taz... What I love about David's world view is how he integrates and transcends the old, disconnected, and lifeless narrative of science and reconnects us with the cosmos and all of creation. Today we'll find out how to view his process of transformation that we are currently facing with our ecology, and not only that, but with our social and spiritual challenges. David says that just maybe all these many crises are burst of energy that we need in humanity to get us going. So, uh, Taz, uh, do you have more? Yeah, I do. Paula, I feel like we are teetering on the fence post, and flight is really near. Excuse me. And it's like our new feathers have developed, and we're, like you say, uh, ready to reframe our outlook and bring a new intelligence to to Mother Earth. David Christopher, we are so excited to know that individuals like you are airing a new site that allows our heartbeats to match our universe. It's such an honor to have you with us. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me on your show. Hmm. Well, David, um, ever since I've been studying ancient cultures, um, I've realized that they all have the storytellers, and that's how they pass on things by story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I always felt that we missed that in this modern age. And do you think that you are the storyteller for us at this moment? Well, I I, that, I don't know if I would want to claim so, such a high um, position, but it's certainly <clears throat> one of the stories. Um, you know, one of the storytellers certainly, um, and the storytellers that I used in order to form this particular narrative included. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of Brian Swim, who's a mathematical cosmologist, as well as a, a theologian named Thomas Berry, and other scientists like Elizabeth Sartoris, Mary Evelyn Tucker, and uh, other scientists and thinkers and theologians who who are telling the story. And this is just a, another take of the on this new story. Mm-hmm. Can you um, I mean, give us an idea how this? really began to emerge for you and, you know, thinking about, okay, how far back did this thought of yours prevail? 
as far as what you know the idea of coming coming up with a book yeah and i also mm-hmm. kind of wonder as far as you know when you were a child was there any inclination that you were you were looking at a new form to be presented oh, to yeah. you uh, well, certainly when I was a child, I felt like I didn't fit in very much. And, of course, as with many people who don't feel they fit in, they figure that the problem is with them, that there was something wrong with me, that somehow I didn't quite have the program down of what I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, and I felt that even in through my... Um, through my college years and early and on in my career, that you know, I'm just not some, something's off here. I'm just not feeling right with the program. And I did at a certain point. I realized as I was reading one particular book, it just was a flash of, oh my God, where I'm I'm trapped in a worldview and an economy that is based on a worldview of separation, of a worldview that really wants to that that really is about. Um, digging into the planet of exploiting resources and creating wealth um, in ways that were very destructive to the biosphere. And it really started to make sense to me of, well, of course I'm going to feel a little off because when I was younger, it really hurt to see the devastation that 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 I was hearing about through the news and also that I was witnessing firsthand in the town that I grew up as as um you know the the natural environment was transformed in, into suburbs so that um you know that kind of gives you a sense of where i came from uh from in my childhood and i was also raised in the episcopalian church in a similar thing where i just felt like something something is off here so so that's that's kind of my um how it was with my childhood and then as far as the book coming into being that happened as I was studying this new story and discovered it and really fell in love with it. It gave me a new framework that that left behind that old big dumb rock story or that mechanistic story that science gave us and has pervaded our, our society for about two or three centuries at least, if not more. And also filled the void that 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 was there when I left the church because I didn't really subscribe to the literal interpretation of the Bible. So this new story was wonderful, and there was a part of me that really wanted to have it told in in less of an academic way and more of a poetic and storytelling way, and so that's that's where the genesis of this particular book came was was through that desire to hear a story. So it is a story within a story, the story of a seeker and a sage, who then tell the creation story of the universe. Um, all the way through present from the beginning of all beginnings, the beginning of the universe through present day Earth, and then looking at the challenges challenges that we're facing now. So, so let me what ask you also. Let me ask you how regarding the title of your book, the Holy Inter- the excuse me, the Holy Universe. Mm-hmm. How did you choose that title? That title. Well, it's actually kind of funny. It came to me. At a certain point when I was writing the book, early on in this stage, I was, I was working with um, a gentleman named Dwayne Elgin who wrote a book called Voluntary Simplicity back um, in the, I think it came out in the 70s or 80s. And I happened to strike up a friendship with him. Uh, he was actually a neighbor of mine for a short while. And he was the one who encouraged me to, to start writing the book. And at a certain point, as I was working with him, he offered to help out, and he essentially is the godfather of this book, really. And at a certain point, um, I said, you know, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I realize, I'm, I'm rewriting Genesis here, and I don't know if that's going to sit well with some certain people. And uh, at, the cert- at that time, it had a working title that I really didn't know what the title was going to be. And, he, and at that point, he said, you know, if you're not ticking someone off, you're probably not trying hard enough. You can't worry about that. And I thought, well, you know, if you're going to tick people off, why not take the word holy and try and take it back from those who have abused it, really, for the past uh, several, oh gosh, maybe even millennia, um, to take it back from those institutions who use it for more, um, more to control rather than to liberate. And so the word holy comes from, it's related to the word whole, it's related to holistic, it's related to holism. And it really, for me, evokes more of the sense of that everything is connected. And that really is what I want to take back and really to bring forward. And, and so, so that's really the, the, um, a little bit of the story behind the title itself. That's great. Well, that, great that brings me to the, uh, the cover of the book. I mean, <laughs> how did you come up with the cover of the book? Was that I I am not a well yes yeah I'm not a designer I hired um, a person who um, had done a lot of uh, a really book covers for Nobel laureates and and um, actually she had, when I after um, I found out about her I went to her website and found out she did a, 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 a book cover for um, at the time. Uh, uh, the Pope, John Paul. And I thought, well, she probably knows what she's doing. Um, and I told her, she made me work and say, all right, what is it that you want? What is the sense you want to evoke from this? You know, boil it down to just like a sentence of what you want someone to feel when they pick up the book. And um, it t- it's hard to really boil it down. I'm, I'm not even sure if I could come up with that one sentence, but I really wanted a sense of the, the evoking the sense of of uh, spirituality, um, ecology, and and um, holiness, or or yeah, I, I think that was that was the other word. And I wanted I wanted to have a sense of spirituality that was also grounded in a very physical planet. That we are we are on a physical planet, and what we do matters on a physical plane. I mean, certainly you've heard the term "we are spiritual being." You've heard, maybe you've heard the the adage that we are spiritual beings on a human journey, but we're also physical beings on a human journey too. And what we do to our physical environment really does have consequences. And I think a lot of um, spirituality is beginning to awaken to that. Even in some of the fundamentalist Christian churches, they're beginning to come up with um, green evangelism and and green um, creation care. Which to me is wonderful and hopeful news. I really, it, it really helps to hear that. This is not just a. It, this is not a story that's only for one small section of of, uh, of the of the market or of humanity. It really is a story that's much wider than that. So when you somebody's looking at the book, they can get the feeling of from the cover what it's all about. I mean, that's my sense. I think so, and I'm curious. Is that is that the sense that you got when you saw the cover? Yes, I mean it just, just brought me in, and I thought, what a perfect. I mean, how much more perfect could a cover be? So <laughs> I, congrat- I congratulate you. In the, <laughs> the I'll, I'll let the designer know. She'll be thrilled to hear that. Now, how <laughs> the story is uh, done in a conversation back and forth between 
a seeker and a sage, and you have it the um, the seeker on the right side of the page and the sage on the left side of the page. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you come up with that format? That was a bit of a, a fluke. I was just playing with, you know, how do I want to to lay this out? I had in college, I had created a piece that had an instructor and a student talking back and forth, and I was playing with the indentation and having fun with how the, the how the um, words looked on the page. And when I and that was a long time ago, and I set that aside and it uh, lay dormant for you know a decade or so. And then when I started writing the book, I wanted to play with that more, and. And that's what evolved, in, and, and eventually it evolved into, well, you can't, I, I was, I really wanted some more structure where just having them all, all, the, all the, the, the paragraph breaks be ran, a little bit more random or a little bit harder to fill. And then at a certain point, it's like, well, you know, let's try this kind of two-column thing and still have that more poetic breaking of the lines in the, in the dialogue. And it really seemed to work well. Um, in fact, I've had very positive feedback from readers that they like that. Um, they, something about it really helps tell the story. It makes the, the story flow more quickly and more easily and more flowing um, as they read it. So, so that's a little bit about how, how that came about. Well, it's pretty interesting because it opens the page and allows space to flow on the page as you're going back and forth, and it's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it, it's stupendous how you merge poetry with your story. And it's a heartwarming story that is really timeless and full of space, of new vision and new hope and new beginning. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it allowed the reader to invest and research in his own story as well, you mm-hmm. know, and get and- all involved. Yes, and people have also said it's nice to have places to write down notes, too. There's a lot of space to write down notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a very brilliant. practical point, too. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And you, you have your book set up in three stages, the ancient, the modern, and the planetary. Mm-hmm. you want to uh, explain a, a little bit about that? Well, that's in the... Um, uh, that's part of part one, where, we, where the book... It, just to give your readers a little bit of context... Um, the book essentially takes these old stories, takes the work of these scientists and recasts it into this story of creation where it goes through the story, that the seeker and the sage go through the story of the creation of the universe and the galaxies and stars and planets and then the web of life. And then it talks about the emergence of humanity and all the way up to our present day um, crises that we face. So that's part one. And then part two is, so what does this evolutionary story have to teach us? So the second, what you were, what you were asking about, um, the emergence of humanity, the emergence of ancient mind, modern mind, and planetary mind, um, has to do with the emergence of humanity over the past 50 to 100,000 years. So about then is when Homo sapiens started getting really good at, at verbal lang- at language. That's, that's the latest um, uh, theory anyway. Somewhere around then is that's when we started being able to use language to then still tell stories. And the story of an ancient mind emerged, and as we went across the globe, we created 10,000 cultures, 10,000 languages, 10,000 ways of being on the planet. But the common thread between most, nearly all of those stories is, my, my, my thought anyway, is that we are deeply connected and deeply part of creation. 
We are an integral part of creation. We are deeply connected with our environment and with the cosmos. And in a sense, we had to be, because if we didn't know which plants, you know, very practical way, if we didn't know which plants were good to eat and which ones were poison and which ones were medicine, if we didn't know which, when and how to hunt which animals and which, um, which animals we had to be careful of, lest we fall prey to them, we, ha- we, would, we would, be, we would, be, would be wiped out. So we had to be very deeply connected to our environment. And out of that deep connection arose these stories of deep connection. So not to say there wasn't strife and conflict and violence and even warfare, but the underlying story of ancient mind is one of connection. Then about 10,000 years ago, we started getting very serious about systemic agriculture. And out of that, that systemic agriculture arose chiefdoms and cities. Well, we, start, we started settling down into villages, which turned into cities, which turned into chiefdoms, and eventually even city-states and empires. And the underlying story, as we started to stratify our societies between those who the haves and have-nots and those who had privilege and those who didn't, we started telling a story of we are separate we're separate from each other, we're separate from nature, we're separate from the cosmos. And we can do whatever we want to that environment without, without consequence. And that story of separation really got it going about you know, three or four centuries ago with the Renaissance, the so-called European Enlightenment, and the Industrial Revolution. We really had a very deep, deep story of separation. And that's now, that story of separation caused us to create some brilliant technology. And we can do amazing things with that. But the consequences is that if we feel we can clear-cut a forest, if we feel we can fish the oceans as much as we want, if we feel we can dump whatever we want into the waters and the air, then that's going to come back and bite us. And that's what's happening now, not just with catastrophic climate change, but also with the sixth mass extinction, which is now beginning to become into people's awareness. Um, We've really created an ecological, a social, and a spiritual crisis through that story of separation. And then the last last thing you asked about was planetary mind, which is the mind that has been been emerging now for, depending on who you talk with, anywhere from a quarter to a, um, a century or so which is really looking at a new story of connection that brings together um, modern mind and ancient mind and even transcends them. And the story of planetary mind, just to give you a little taste of it, um, this is the story, part of the story of the planetary mind, is that the creative force of the infinite flows throughout and embraces the universe, whole and complete, ever-changing, ever-creative, and ever-destructive, as the infinite plays and dances, as it seizes catastrophe to create anew, as it yearns for ever-greater order, ever-greater complexity, ever-greater consciousness, and ever-greater elegance, as it drives itself toward life. We are thus made in the likeness of the infinite. And that's just a taste of the the story of uh, planetary mind. So it's a story that's emerging out of the old stories of uh, a random universe and a de- versus a determined universe into a, into a story of a mysteriously creative universe. Well, it, in the planetary, the third stage is 
brings more beauty into science. I mean, where scientists mm-hmm. actually connect with the beauty of the universe. Yes, and it was it was very heartening at a certain point in um, the uh, section on the emergence of the web of life, as I was doing the research on you know, what are the essence of the essences of the universe, the essences of flow of energy and matter, the essences of relation that everything is related to one to to everything else in the universe however distant it may be and in um, the essence of emergence the essence of creation and destruction and when i got to, when i realized that you know something here is missing because beauty needs to be part of the story and so i wrote that section and then found out that james lovelock the scientist who came up with the gaia hypothesis um uh late last century <clears throat> He actually, in one of his books, talks towards the end about that. that He talks about how, you know, science needs to start acknowledging beauty. It needs to start looking at that and seeing where it fits. So it was very heartening that that a scientist actually came up with that. Um, And uh, it was good to, to include that in the book also. Now, as you were writing it, I feel as though you were the seeker. And uh, the same. <laughs> yes. <to> you. <laughs> very. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> so, and because you were saying about your research, and I'm thinking, oh, he is the seeker. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. great. Oh yeah, yeah, and and very much. Um, you know, I was actually asked just recently because I, I I consider myself a neophyte when it comes to spiritual matters. Like the more I learn, the more it's like, oh, there's so much that I'm just ignorant of and so much more than I need to learn and um, the the person asked me well how is it that you how could you have possibly written a book like this <laughs> so and at first it, it's like oh, I really don't know and and in a sense I spoke with my own teacher about this my in a sense he said well it wasn't just you it was spirit it was spirit who exactly. was talking through you or using you as a vessel the muse, you know, the, the genius, as Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in, in her TED Talk and some of her work, that it's not really the artist who comes up with the art. The artist is merely the person who is expressing a creative sense that wants to be born into the universe. And that makes a lot more sense. And that makes me, you know, it kind of it takes you down a little notch, like, well, yeah, I guess I can't take full credit for it. And, you know, and, and as Elizabeth Gilbert says, and if your stuff isn't all that good, everyone, you know, they kind of take pity on you. And they said, it's okay, you know, maybe you're genius, maybe your muse was just a little lame that day. That's okay. But you don't have to take it quite personally. Well, at least you, uh, you, you know, you're living in the moment, which is really great. And, um, you know, I... I think that that's wonderful because you're stepping to the movement of the universe and how it flows, and I love to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, Toward the beginning of the book, the sage has the seeker throw a party for one of his friends Mm -hmm. and gives the seeker some ideas on how to make the party more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what happens. Well, essentially what happens is that... um, The the sage is, the the seeker is saying you know why why is the, they're talking about um, how to make uh, things more meaningful uh, uh, let's see what am I trying to say rituals more meaningful and ceremonies more meaningful and the seeker says I don't see how that would actually work and the sage says well someone having a birthday I, I think you should try this 
And basically, it's about um, the assignment essentially says, what, um, what you're to do is to bring everyone together for a small gathering. First, make sure the person is going to be okay being the center of attention because this isn't appropriate for everyone. But during the party, after you serve the food, and, but before you serve the cake, you have the person, the birthday boy or the birthday girl, answer these three questions. What's one important thing that you learned this past year? What are two things that you look forward to in this next year? And finally, what are three things you are grateful for? for? So then the person says that, and then you turn to the group and ask for three, three people to give a small story of what they like about this person. And, um, and so that's, that's the assignment. And this, the uh, person who's the, the, Ricardo is the person whose birthday it is, and his wife uh, tells a story about them being stuck in the desert overnight because she had injured herself. And she talked about that whole story of what happened and how they finally got out of, out of trouble. And, and for her, it was like this, this show, this just, it's just one example of how patient he, he can be and how, how much I, that's one of the things I really love, love about him. And through that story, through that, through that experience, the, sage get, the seeker gets firsthand experience of, oh, I see why story is so important. I see why it's so compelling. Because telling the stories really help bring that great gratitude and, and acknowledgement to life. And so, so that was the assignment for that. And from that, that's when the, the sage tells the seeker, you know, in, in part of what you're running into, part of the reason why you're having a difficult time now is that you're struggling with your own stories, your big stories and your small stories. And so the, the, the sage at that point says, let's start with the biggest story of all. Let's start with the story of the creation of the universe, and then let's go through all that, and then let's look at how it applies to your life. So that's a little context there. Yeah. You know, you were, you, were talking of, you were talking about rituals, and um, graduation is a ritual in our culture mm-hmm. when somebody graduates from college. But we have a friend that just had a son that graduated, and I felt that there's something missing because oh, yes. I feel when I was talking to him, he was like, I could feel the feeling of loss. Okay, mm-hmm. I've been going to college for four years. Now I'm out there. I don't know who I am, where I'm going. Yes. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up because that, uh, um, the, the ritual of the birthday story that I write about comes from my own graduation from, from uh, my master's program. My undergrad was very much like you described. Like, wait a minute, that's it, and where's everyone going? And can we let's kind of can we gather together and talk about what did we just go through? And everyone just disappears. Contrast that to my master's program, where we were required before we graduated, we were required to assemble a, a um, they call it a committee, of three faculty and two peers, two colleagues, and to tell the story of what have I learned these past two years. How do I foresee bringing that into the world? How do I foresee that? And then what's next on my career path? And explain that to these five people, as well as any other people gathered. You know, and these, these things turned into these events that people just you know, really made a big deal out of, and rightly so, I think. And then who do you want to thank? Who do you have to thank for this, for this time through your journey? 
And after that, it was, it was about a three-hour presentation. It went by like it was 10, 15 minutes. And um, after that, I felt, so, I felt complete. I felt like I had said what needed to be said. I acknowledged those people that I needed to acknowledge. And I could tell this small group of people gathered a bit of my story. So that's so, so that 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 gives you a little bit of background of where I came up with um, this sense and realize that this is an important part of our of our ceremonies and, and yeah you're right we're missing we're missing that and it's it's kind of sad that we don't offer that to our to our college graduates and I mean there's so many aspects of our life we can you know look at and see the same thing happening oh yes yes and I've used this particular. Um, model too with uh with birthday parties too uh i had one person we came up with a way of or we have 70 people here we can't have 70 people telling stories because people are going to get kind of bored um <laughs> but we did come up with a structure of they grew up broke up into groups of four and each one told a story and then they voted on the best one and then those people got together with another group and they voted on the best one and then they finally we boiled it down to three stories. So everyone got to tell a story who wanted to tell the story. And then we heard three of the best stories about the persons whose birthday it was. It worked out very nicely that way. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that because it's a missing link. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's marvelous. Could you speak to the challenges we face personally and collectively? Well, collectively, you know, this, this sage talks about the great transformation, and um, similar to what Joanna Macy, uh, the the Buddhist and system and uh, systems thinking scholar in Berkeley, uh, talks about. She talks about the great turning, and other people have used other terms to describe this time that we're going through. We've always had the, the, the subset of the population that has had apocalyptic thinking, that the world is about to come to an end. And whenever, you know, every now and then I get challenged about that, that what is this great transformation? How do we know this isn't just another story? It says, well, the difference here is that science is beginning to show us that we're entering a time where, ecologically speaking, we are coming into a mass extinction, which is much, which climate change is a big part of. Catastrophic climate change is a big part of. So we're coming into an ecological crisis. We're coming into a social justice. We have a, a, a social justice crisis. The the um, disparity of income and the equity of income is getting worse and worse. It was getting better and better for a while in, in the 70s or so, but it's becoming worse and worse where there are a few people at the top taking a lot of the, the resources of that Earth has to offer and leaving a, very little for the rest of us. And then we have a spiritual crisis, a crisis of meaning, of why, why are we here? Why are we here in this society? Are, is really, the messages we get from the media is sit down, watch media, and buy stuff. That is your purpose. Um, you're to get a job so you can buy stuff. And that's pretty much it. And somehow, in some ephemeral way, you might get happy. You know, if you buy this new car, if you buy this new computer, or if you have this kind of house, you'll be happy. And clearly, that's not, that's not the case. So, but there's nothing really to fill that void. So those are the great challenges, collectively, that we face. And the, and the personal challenge that 
that certainly anyone faces, and I face too, is, okay, what do you do when you find yourself in this situation? What, what work is worthwhile doing? What, um, how do I find meaning in this? And how do I not participate in this, in, this, uh, in this economic engine that is bent on destruction? That's just what it, what it does. And so that, that is the personal challenge that one faces. And fortunately, there are people in places who are addressing those and who are looking at that. And uh, we talk, I talk about it a little bit in the book. Um, but just to put to highlight one organization that I particularly like is called the Pachamama Alliance in San Francisco, California. They're an NGO that have been the the, the short the short uh, um, version of what they do is they do rainforest preservation work, mainly by helping the people in the rainforest protect their lands from overdevelopment. And they also their work in the in the north is to help give people places and structures to go to to find their way through find their role in this great transformation. Um, and, and we need to do that. Those of us who really are concerned about these, they, we call ourselves spiritual but not religious, but we're also very concerned about what's happening in terms of the spiritual crises, the social justice crises, and the ecological crises. We need to find one another and hook up and, and get together and know that we're not alone in figuring out how do we create a society that is in harmony with the laws of the web of life versus those that are at odds with it. Because if we don't, it's not that, um, you know, th this is not something that's nice to do. If we don't help the web of life heal itself and bring it back into balance, it will go out of whack into such points, in, in, into such extremes. It could very well go out of whack in such extremes that we, certainly our civilizations will co collapse. And... Quite, it's quite possible our species might go extinct, and I don't want to see that happen. That just feels, yeah. that just doesn't feel right, and it feels I, like it would be a shame. You know, like we've come this far and we've learned so much, and there's so much more to learn. So, um, anyhow, I'm sorry, you you had a question there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, so we're looking at how does a seeker, which we're all the seekers, find our path in the midst of all this of, of our times, you know, mm -hmm. um, how, do, how do we step up to bringing a new intelligence to, to our universe here? Mm -hmm. And, um, and how, you know, how, how do we go about that? I mean, um, people are um, so heavily droned into their everyday life mm -hmm. and uh, opening a space for that and really creating that community that, allows for this kind of growth, how does, how does someone really get going on that? Well, for me, it really does start with the biggest story of what is your creation story. And, and if you'd like, what I could do is just, I could, tell, I could just do a, a little excerpt um, that the seeker tells the sage as far as the, the creation of the universe. Oh, yeah. Um, that, would, so, that would be great so, to give everybody, the listeners a flavor of how your book is. You know, okay. All right. Close. So again, just a little bit of context. This, you know, th this this answers. Th this starts with that. It's one of the answers to your question of how do you go about um, how do you go about your daily life when you're faced with all these with what we're faced with. And part of the answer is what is the biggest story. And um, the seeker, the, the sage actually tells the seeker, you know, I think let's let's start there. 
and then we'll proceed from there. So this goes back 13.8 billion years to the beginning of the universe, and this particular piece is called The Infinite and the Creation of the Cosmos. <clears throat> it was the beginning of all beginnings. It was a time of no time, for time did not exist. A place of no place, for space did not exist. It was a beginning like no other, for there was no before. There was no time, there was no place. There was only the infinite and the unfathomable mystery. And the unfathomable mystery was all that was to be. And all that was to be was small, smaller than the tiniest particle, in the tiniest atom, in the tiniest dream, although... There was nowhere from which to see how small all that was to be was, for there was no outside and no inside, no here, no there, no now, no then, no darkness, and no light. There was nothing save a whisper of what might be, an infinitesimal, indescribable, unfathomable mystery. And out of the unfathomable mystery, the infinite called forth to itself. It called forth space. It called forth time. It called forth being. And in that ecstatic instant, the universe land exploding outward into existence with a jubilant and breathtaking beauty, brightness, energy, violence, power, and glory of a trillion newborn stars. It was a perfect explosion. One trillionth of a second slower and the universe would collapse back into itself unfulfilled. One trillionth of a second faster and the universe would spin out dissipating into nothingness, never to create galaxies, stars, planets, life, nor us. A perfect explosion. And in the instance of this perfect explosion, the infinite began a brilliant and fierce cycle of gloriously creating violently destroying and gloriously creating once more as if it knew what it was doing. Wow. So that's the beginning of the story of creation that the sage tells. And continuing on with the creation of the universe, the galaxies, earth, the web of life, and the emergence of humanity. All in about a hundred pages or so. <laughs> Well, I've always felt like the universe knew what it was doing, and mm-hmm. we're part of, I mean, our whole physical being is like another little universe, and if we can, we're all connected, we just have to know how to tune mm-hmm. into that. Well, yeah, and and that's the paradox, is that there are parts of us that we do have, um, you know, evolutionarily, we do have these individual cells, but also evolutionarily, we do have this collection of selves that we're connected to. So, yes, I am distinct from you, but just because I am distinct from you doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm completely separate from you. So it's, it's an interesting paradox, and it's a very interesting spiritual challenge to go through, to know that, yes, indeed, we are all one, and yet I still have my rent that I need to make. So I, you know, I, I do have that, that, that need, those physical needs that uh, need to be taken care of. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing um, challenge and certainly well worth it, if you ask me. 
Well, it looks like <clears throat> excuse me, people are at this time a lot of people are um going within and saying, Wow, is this really where I wanna go? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's emerging within me? People are being shaken at the very core, as a matter of fact. And um how apropos that what you just read, it's, you know, bringing forth a universe within to be able to allow someone to see their inside, their soul, their awareness. Mm-hmm. And look at how maybe it, it's an ability to be able to realize that the person sitting beside you or standing beside you is also doing likewise and, mm-hmm. you know, to hold hands and and say, hey, we really need to merge here and restore wholeness to, to earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that uh, as, you, as you were saying that, it reminded me of something I started doing, um, you know, a little practice of as I'm out in the world um, looking at, you know, about... There's about um, a sixth of the population that is very, very much um, in alignment with and ready to hear this kind of story. Not just this story, but many kinds of an alternate view of what are we really here for? What are are we supposed to be here for? And one common thing amongst people like those of us who feel like that is that we feel very alone. We think we're the only people out there. And I still wrestle with this. Even though I've connected with a lot of people, I still have that. So what I've started doing is as I'm out in the world, if if I'm out shopping or if I'm out driving or if I'm out on a hike or something like that, I'll meet people and I'll, I'll look at like every fourth person and think them too. Just imagine them being at a meeting of say you know a social justice meeting or at church at at at, at, the, at a church or in some kind of context other than just a stranger who really is just part of the American nightmare that's, that's happened now. Just consume and just be happy with what you've got. And it's a very interesting um, uh, process to go through as you're, as to, to do that, to see, to, to shift how my prejudices and stereotypes, how deeply they're ingrained that, oh, there's so many people out there who really don't care and we're really just alone, just a few little souls. It's like, no, that's not true. So, and even if it were true, how best, how, how, what, what one, another wonderful cha- way to change that is that let's see people differently and maybe that will bring out that better part of their natures. Well, it's interesting that the Internet's called the web because uh-huh. it's connecting us all. <laughs> you know, it's connecting it us is. all. We're able yeah. to connect yeah, it does. It does help that connection. I mean, there, there's certainly the dark side of it too. But even so, we have it, and it certainly can be used for to help to help connect us. Yeah, I certainly use it, and that's you know, on, I was speaking earlier of organizations people can hook up with. That's where I've started to um, I, I've, I've I've posted some of those organizations on my website to give people a place to go. Of I'm interested, I want to do something, but I feel so alone. Where can I go? And I have the Pachamama Alliance listed there, as well as a few other organizations that might be might be useful for them. Well, so many people are headed, you know, and have their crises at this point, and and um, you know, people really don't step outside of their norm schedule unless some kind of crisis happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yes. 
And maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's what we're creating for ourselves is that at a certain point we can't ignore this. I mean, yeah. We now have a typhoon bearing down on um, Tokyo. We, we had a hurricane heading up towards Washington, D.C. on 4th of July. I mean, yeah, as if it knew what it was doing. It's kind of like, hmm, all right, can you hear me now? Um, so, yeah, so maybe that's what's going on. And also, too, one other point that I always like to bring up, too, is that um, whenever I go out and do readings, and um, I always, I, I nearly always talk about the sage and the seeker, and I don't identify the sage as being a woman until about three-quarters of the way through the, um, through the time together. And it's interesting when I use the when I'm reading and I'll use the personal pronoun she for the first time. Sometimes you'll see a ripple in the audience, as everybody kind of stops and startles and has to reset their their idea of oh, you mean the sage is a woman? Because even even though and actually at one point I was at um, I was my host in, when I was in Boston, um, had just had her 80th birthday and had been a feminist for. You know, she I, she actually scowled at me at one point when I, at that point when I first used the pro, pronoun she, and then we talked about well why, how many people saw a man and a woman, or I'm sorry, how many people saw two men? About half people raised their hand. How many people saw the seeker as a man and the sage as kind of this you know, more of this amorphous spiritual being? More or less, the rest of them will say that, or they'll kind of argue with me back and forth. But very few people will say I saw the sage as a woman. And the reason why I bring this up is that it's an important point. We still have some very deep biases and prejudices within us as to who can be a sage and who cannot be a sage. And the, the, it actually turns out later that the sage is not, not only is the sage a woman, she's also a woman of color. She has ethnicities that she can trace through all the continents. So she... Wow became an accidental metaphor. I didn't plan this. It just emerged that she became the, the metaphor for all the voices in our societies and on our planet that have been put down and denigrated through our larger culture. And the reason why that's important is because the same worldview that will see throwaway people is the same worldview, not related, it's the same worldview that will see throwaway species, throw away forests, throw away oceans and waters and air. So that work of really looking at that, you know, the idea of privilege of, you know, and I stand at the pinnacle. I mean, I'm white heterosexual male. I'm, I, I have the pinnacle of privilege in our particular society. By and large, I mean, that, that shifts. It's not quite so clean as that. But by and large, there's a lot of work that I need to do and everyone who enjoys privilege needs to do to acknowledge that and to see how we need to, how we need to transcend that because that work is directly it's the same work as looking at the ecological crises so the social justice crises and the ecological crises really are fed by the same worldview and any work done by one is automatically helpful for the other in fact when they join together they're even more powerful now i have a question for you when yes. you first started Speaking to the sage, did you know the sage from the very beginning? Did you know the sage was female? No, no. It was two. In my mind, it was two white guys. <laughs> and <laughs> at a certain point, 
Um, actually, someone once said, he says, you know, uh, you really can't, they said, yeah, it really couldn't have been two white guys, because you could make an argument, that's what got us in the trouble in the, into trouble in the first place, um, which I think is a bit of an oversimplification, but um, no, I did see um, two, two Caucasian males. And it was at a certain point, I, I don't remember when it was, but at a certain point, I actually went back and looked at some of the old manuscripts. At a certain point, it did shift, because I realized I am leaving out an enormous part of the population in this, in this conversation. And even though, you know, who am I to really put words into the, in, into a character, into the mouths of a character who's a woman, and a uh, woman of color? I mean, who am I to do that? And yet... If I didn't try it, it would be it would have been a failure right from the start. So I would rather I realize that you're just going to have to go for an epic fail that maybe it won't work well and maybe it'll fall flat on its face. But you have to try this. You have to at least try. And so far, I've gotten fairly positive feedback. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are things that that come through that aren't quite right, but by and large. Um, um, I, th- I think it was certainly worthwhile. It was certainly worth the uh, the challenge and certainly worth the risk. Well, certainly well, you when, have the 2014 Nautilus Book Award <laughs> winning um, for better books for a better world and that inspires others um, to connect and con- connect our lives with individuals and communities and global mm-hmm. citizens. Yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> people are That was the one award Yay. I was, yeah, that was the one award I was really happy to, to get to, to, uh, to, to share the Silver Award with uh, into the Nautilus Book Awards because they really do highlight those kinds of books that really, really seek to help this with the transformation that we're going through. There well, was a man that I... Uh, Excuse me, go ahead, Paula. Taz and I, uh, through what we're doing and in interviews, we we see a theme, and the, what you're doing right now, it's like on the cusp. We see this theme arising. I mean, it's like it's coming up quite quickly, and I'm so glad to see it. It is interesting. Yeah, it seems that um, our, our spirituality is beginning to grow. We're beginning to grow out of personal change, which is vital and important, but also looking at world change, too, of how does my personal change serve world change? David Corton, actually, of Yes! Magazine, another wonderful resource for folks to check out, he calls it integral spirituality, where he talks about it's time, we're awakening, it's time to awaken and engage. It's not, it's not the old spiritual story of kind of being apart from the world. And it's more about really deeply engaging with those institutions and structures that are causing problems in the first place. It's time for us to bring our spirituality to that. So it's so it's interesting. You're saying that you're finding that. You're, is that does that ring a bell? And are you finding that oh, also? Oh yes, yeah. That's like the majority yeah. of our interviews right now. It's it's just popping up all over, and I'm wow. so glad to see it happening. Oh, yeah, it's merging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, through the ethers. You know, uh, there was a gentleman um, who, um, uh, Richard Heinberg, senior yeah. fellow um, uh, at uh, Post Carbon Institute, author of The End of Growth and The Party's Over and others. Um, he shared his thoughts about your book, and it states that you are the Cahill 
Gibran for the 21st century. Um, he says, your book uses the vulnerable tradition of the teaching story to guide us toward a deeper understanding of the great transformation that is setting for uh, our lives and for readers with a spiritual uh, sensibility. The holy uh, universe offers a cosmic perspective grounded in ecological sensibility. And... Um, of course, his company goes along that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing, you know, like Paula said, um, that we are, uh, it's almost as if it's an amoeba kind of spring. <laughs> well, yeah. we're starting the third stage, the planetary stage. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. And, and it, well, in, in the planetary, actually, it was kind of funny. I, I There was a one the one of the structures i've used to say well this is the emergence of planetary mind really was with the new thought churches with the with the unitarian church and the universalist churches of of the i think they were in the 1800 late 1800s is when they emerged that had the same kinds of things and i said well this is the emergence of planetary mind and then there was a group of folks i was speaking with and they said no planetary mind emerged with us in the 60s so it really, you know, who who knows? I mean, it has been emerging, but it's very heartening to see it get more and more, uh, become more and more known and mainstream and really helping our spirituality to a new level. Now, can people purchase your book at your website, theholyuniverse.com? Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, the, the book is available online. It's actually available in bookstores, too. I always encourage people to go to local bookstores and order it there. Because I really think local bookstores are one of those institutions that need, they really feed the community. And anything that feeds a community, I think, is a very good thing. So, you know, it's available at bookstores, at the website. Um, and so so people can certainly get it there, too. And, and also, too, a, one other, go ahead. I was going to say, you have a place for people who've read your book to comment on your book and and. Uh, have conversation around your book, and I really like that. Oh, certainly. And my hope is is that it goes beyond. And the, the, you know, certainly there's Facebook and Twitter and, and places on the website. But one of the things that I'll be developing over the summer is um, the section of the website called the New Story Cafe. And I'm hoping to bring together webinars for folks who are really interested in this, in in this, and finding out you know what is their role, what is my role, how do I, what do, how do I make sense of all this in my own life. And to have a place for them to come together. And even if they can't meet in person, they can at least hear voices and maybe see some pictures of one another. Um, to go beyond just a simple typing on, on, on the computer, but actually hearing voices and, and sharing that. So that's something that I'm hoping to, um, I'm, I'm certainly going to do a, a couple of those um, this summer. And we'll see how far that goes, too. But I really want to give people a place to go to after they've read the book and say, all right, well, now what? Um, what, what do I do now? And I wanted to offer that to them too. Mm-hmm. And what I enjoyed was the um, the videos that you have on the the readings that you actually did in bookstores and uh, churches, and yeah. that really, really, I I really enjoyed that. So I was listening to those throughout the week. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I need to give uh, acknowledgments to um, a volunteer friend of mine, uh, Laura Babbitt, who the, the, those videos would not be up without her help. And I've had so many people come forward um, and offer 
just volunteer little things and large things. And Laura did a very large thing in putting together that entire page um, and getting all the videos uploaded. I just simply didn't have time to do it, so it was very heartening to have her help to do that. So she'll be glad to hear hear your words about that. Thank you. Well, that's all part of the community coming together because we have to have some kind of imprint. And the imprint can begin with the layout of a place to go, a place to you know communicate, and it's really brilliant. Um, David, have we missed something that you would like to share with our listeners? The main thing that I wanted to share was that, but you know, there there, there is um, if we have time, there's a there's a shorter piece that that ends the the book, or it's towards the end of the book that would be nice to share. Sure, go ahead. Okay, all right. This is where the seeker asks, are we really going to make it? And they're at the shoreline looking at what the, the sage is called, the temple of the infinite, which is all of creation. And the sage asks, are we really going to wake up? And this, I'm sorry, the seeker asks that. And the sage says, I think we will. As I sit here in this temple and look out at the decorated sky, listening to the chorus of waves and shorebirds, I remember. I remember that the infinite has been driving itself toward greater order and beautiful complexity to greater consciousness, for billions of years. I remember I am bathing in this cosmic stream that carries me on this delightful journey. I remember that we are much larger than we think. We are not meaningless specks on an insignificant planet in a vast, heartless universe. We are instead dazzling flashes of brilliance on a tiny but delightful, sacred sparkle of stardust called Earth. The infinite could not be one millimeter smaller and still be able to call us into being. The universe worked patiently, for billions upon billions of years, to create us. There is a place for you in the universe, a place for you in the web of life. You never were separate from the infinite. She fell silent once again, and they sat basking in the starlight. Wow. Wow. What a perfect ending to our story today. We want to thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you well, for having me. David, thank you. David Christopher, um, you have mirrored the spiritual and scientific narratives into such an inspiring and fascinating story, um, you know, bringing new perspective into <clears throat> excuse me, we want a everybody state to- of alchemy, you know, a, a state of alchemy where people can feel that magic. The website uh, for David is theholyuniverse.com. And... Uh, Wow, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. And the thank book you is again. The Holy Universe. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.